an innovation lab designed to only keep your best and brightest around is not clarity of purpose. That's treating a symptom. You're treating the symptom of how do I retain top-tier staff, not trying to innovate. Welcome to the Innovation Engine Podcast. Since 2014, we've been bringing you conversations with some of the world's leading authorities on innovation. Topics we cover include technology, culture, leadership, and more. Coming to you from the Three Pillar Global Studio in Fairfax, Virginia, I'm your host, Will Sherlin. On this episode, we'll be looking at why innovation labs fail. We'll talk about why innovation labs often have the opposite effect from what's intended, the vast difference between tweaking and transforming when it comes to the product development space, and why this episode's guest shut down an innovation lab within a few months of being hired here at Three Pillar. Here with us today to talk about those topics and more is Jonathan Rivers. Jonathan is the CTO at Three Pillar. In this role, he leads more than 600 software engineers, product consultants, product managers, quality assurance, and user experience professionals. He works with Three Pillar team members in each of our locations throughout the world to foster product development best practices that lead to business value for clients. Prior to joining Three Pillar, Jonathan was the interim CTO at the Telegraph of London where he served as Director of Service Delivery and Operations before becoming Interim CTO. Jonathan was also part of the leadership team that transformed PBS into a digital leader as their Senior Director of Web Operations and Customer Support. Before joining PBS, he was the EVP of AdJuggler, a digital ad-serving platform that was acquired by Zenovia. He recently gave a talk on why innovation labs fail at the Bite the Future conference in London and I'm happy to have him in the studio with me today to talk about some of the points he covered in that talk. Welcome to the podcast, Jonathan. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So let's start off this episode talking about how your talk at Bite the Future came to be. Can you give listeners a little bit of background on the conference and how you ended up on stage there? Sure. It's kind of a fun story. The Bite the Future conference is uh, thrown by an organization named Generic IT in London. I'll give them a, a big shout out. You know, if you need talented IT folks in the London market, they are definitely the people to call. One of the partners there, Philip Fathom, uh, who I worked with at my time in the Telegraph, had reached out to me to tell me that he was throwing the conference and asked if I would be interested in in, in speaking uh, or being a panelist. And that's where the, the the fun thing came through. And as we started talking about it, he asked, well, if, if you came, what would you want to talk about? And I said, well, here at Three Pillar, the product mindset is very near and dear to us. And it's, it's something that really differentiates us and that we wanted to talk in the marketplace. And he laughed and he was like, okay, boring. <laughs> he was like, what else? But it's so not, but, 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 but go on. <laughs> right. It, 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 well, you know, if you, if you know me, it, it, it sound, it, which, which he knows me very, very well, yes. it, it, it sounded sort of tame and boring. Sure. And I was like, okay, boring. He was like, what else would you want to talk about? And I was like, you know, it's a conference about innovation and, and bimodal business. And he was like, yeah. And I was like, I'll tell you what, how about I talk about why innovation labs suck? And, and he says, brilliant. I love it. Only you would walk into a room of executives who want to talk about innovation and tell them that they're wrong. And we started exploring the idea, and it moved from just a session to actually being the keynote where he 
wanted to start the day challenging people's thinking. Too often we go to conferences where we all agree with the speakers already. So we we look at the panels, we look at the speakers, we've already agreed with them and, and we're walking into echo chambers. We've we've selected them for the content, we've selected the speakers because they're going to tell us things that we want to hear about how agile is good or lean is good or innovation is good. And rarely are we actually challenged at these and and you know, much to his credit, to want to put a speaker on beforehand who would say some challenging things in the beginning, I think was a was a stroke of genius because when you say something challenging or something that somebody disagrees with, it requires them to think. And that's ultimately what we want to get out of these conferences. We want to think, we want to come back with more. If we just say plus one or I agree with that, we haven't really exercised our minds. If I say something that someone disagrees with, they've got to actually think to be able to challenge me. They've got to go through the process to understand what they disagree with, why they disagree with me, and they have to be able to articulate it. And if and if I can generate conversation and I can generate thought with it, I think that was really exciting for us to be able to do there. Yeah, and what what was the crowd reaction? Uh, I, it was less controversial than I uh, expected. I, I found that uh, many, many people agreed with me. I think that, and we talk about this some in the uh, in the talk. Innovation labs have become theater, and the market is really starting to respond to it. The technologists certainly know that there's a lot of theater involved, that it's lost a purity of purpose uh, or an intentionality. And and they've all seen the things that I've talked about where companies go through these trappings of innovation without actually innovating, right? They're more concerned with looking forward thinking than being forward thinking. And to have uh, a number of the presenters continually name check me or or things that I had talked about for the rest of the day was was pretty exciting and I think you know validated a lot of the thinking around uh, what's going on here and, and and frankly what's going wrong in the digital space where people are doing these things uh, fairly wrongly. Yeah, and one of the things you talk about is your love hate relationship with the word innovation. So we're here on the Innovation Engine podcast. Innovation is right there in in the title of this production. Can you give listeners a little bit of insight into why you have such a tortured relationship with the word innovation? Yeah, you know, the word innovation is tortured in and of itself. It's it's misused. It's it's much like Innovation Labs themselves. It's used in so many different ways to mean so many different things. And it's almost used to treat different symptoms rather than than actually solving the problems. And I end up with the love-hate relationship with it because I'm a CTO and, and uh, you know, my job is to actually make sure that my teams are innovating, that they are doing new things, that they are bringing fresh ideas, fresh technologies, and 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 pushing the envelopes. So, you know, that's what we we, we stake our careers on as, as CTOs, that we can innovate, that we can do new things. But you just hear it overused so much. It's like out of the box or synergy or alignment. It's it, it has become this this corporate speak rather than a, a very real and 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 meaningful thing. You know, if you ask somebody what innovation is, it, it becomes difficult for them to assign a, a very real crisp definition around it, and they'll fumble around and they'll they'll talk about new or or, or fresh or 
you know, all of these words around it without actually talking about why they want to do it, why they think they need to do it, and what most importantly is going to happen when they do it, and then how they would have known if they have done it, right? You know, there's not a lot of thinking about that. Uh, It's just, okay, I'm going to say innovate, and I'm going to be like forward thinking, and I'm going to sound like I'm on the cusp of the the digital wave or, or some nonsense like that. Yeah, we were uh, we were at an offsite yesterday over in um, over in Sterling and had a happy hour in Reston, and I couldn't help but notice that uh, I either got on Innovation Avenue or I drove past a sign for Innovation Avenue, uh, but that may be a sign literally that. Uh, well, I wouldn't say we ha- we've had enough of the word innovation as is the host of this podcast, but it's it, it's a sign of the times. It it is, and you know, you, if you look at Reston Town Center, where there are a large number of of technology companies based, you know, is does, does that mean innovation happens on that street, or if I go down that street, I will somehow innovate? Did that street innovate, or is it it's really two lanes on each side with white lines down the the middle and a nice pretty you know uh, median in between? There's nothing innovative about that street, but it, most specifically to my point, it's a trapping of the time and a trapping of the market rather than. And something intentional and, and purposeful. It's 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 like window candy to technology. Yeah. So let me ask you a little bit about your your personal experience with our corporate innovation lab here at Three Pillar. I alluded to this in the in the intro. We had a lab. You were hired as CTO, and then what happened? So I shut it down. <laughs> uh, I, I did, and you know when I'm. In meetings, and and remember that I'm an executive with with fiduciary duty to my to my organization and to all of my people. Uh, it's unbelievably easy to do. Uh, you know, we we operate a business. It wasn't um, it it wasn't producing results. We were we were scatterbrained. And we can talk a little bit more about that. But I think it, it was also very hard for me as well because getting to operate a lab and and run it is one of the most exciting things for a technologist. I you know, every week for a couple of hours, I got to live vicariously through my teams. I got to talk to my ATG group or my labs team and and really examine cutting edge solutions to problems and how can we take new ideas, how can we take new uh, applications of technology and, and use them to, to solve our customers' pain points. And that's sort of part of one of the reasons why these things are a bad idea, because it's a bit of a trap. You know, already, you know, for a couple of hours a week, I was getting seduced into solutioning and and sort of opining and living in this ivory tower talking about great things and maybe not focusing on my business like I should have been. And that's a really common thing that goes on in these markets where People create this lab and then they get seduced by their own creation where they want to participate in it and they start forgetting about the business. What is the lab supposed to do? What is it supposed to accomplish? Where is it supposed to be? How am I going to measure it? You know, you you lose sight of all of those things and instead you only see the shiny. You only see the thing that you pine to do in your youth or what you would do if you didn't actually have a day job. And so I didn't shut it down for those reasons. I, I, I shut it down because ultimately we had a flawed model. 
that was not aligned with our, our business strategy. It wasn't aligned with our strategic objectives. And, and we weren't really clear about the impact that we were expecting it to have. And it was, it was clear that we would have to continue to spend even more money on it for it to even to get to break even point. And, and ultimately, when you, you look at those things, you ask, is this a distraction in, in business? The most precious resource that we have is time. Time is linear. Time is finite. It does not stop moving. You can't get it back. And when you have such a limited resource, you've got to treat it very, very cautiously. And one of the things we forget about in business is attention bandwidth. So how much attention can I pay to any project? How much attention span do I have for all of my projects? And where am I going to spend it? And what results am I going to get? And and ultimately... I feel like we were under-investing in, in resources while still spending a significant amount for the return that we were going to get both on in terms of impact to the business and, and financial results. And let me ask you also about impact to the rest of the organization, the, the 600 engineers who are not a part of the chosen ones or, or the labs team. What kind of impact does, do you think it has on them? You know, it has a good and a bad impact. I'm uh, universally hated around the globe uh, for having shut it down because it's something that line developers aspired to get into. You know, they wanted this career path that goes from developer to tech lead to architect to labs architect. They wanted to get to this magic, magic place where they could dream only of great things and do really exciting stuff. So at one point, it was it was sort of demoralizing to them uh, that that pathway was, was, was no longer open to them. They also viewed it as a way to keep some of our best and brightest around, right? The point of the lab was that you 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 had these smart people that you could ask questions to uh, because they were still attached to the business. And if you didn't have a lab, then you didn't have those people. All of which to say, it, it points exactly to why I talk about I have a tortured relationship with the word innovation. And an innovation lab designed to only keep your best and brightest around is not clarity of purpose. That's treating a symptom. You're treating the symptom of how do I retain top-tier staff, not trying to innovate, right? If you're, if you're trying to innovate, you need to be serious about that and actually go through those steps. Past all of that, I think once I had done it, you know, people started to understand why I did it and 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 why I think it's important. If I have a dollar to spend... I'm going to spend it on my 600 developers. I'm not going to spend it on five. I don't want to focus on just the best and brightest. You know, when it comes to actually innovating or or changing an organization, you you invest in as many people as you can. 600 people have more ideas than six do. It's just pure math. You are more likely to get innovation out of 600 people than six. And and philosophically speaking, all day, every day, I would rather spend the money I was spending on the lab on those people rather than just six individuals. Don't get me wrong. I love all of them. Uh, you know, they really are super, super bright individuals who contribute hugely to the business. But when we're talking about investment, I want to raise everyone rather than a select few. Okay. And, and let's just presume that perhaps there is somebody out there listening who's so far 
down the track of starting an innovation lab that the train cannot come back into the station. So for people who may be listening that are tempted to start up innovation labs or maybe have one already, what are some things you would tell them to watch out for or be mindful of? Sure. The the first, you know, I'll, I'll talk about sort of three uh, that I think unbelievably important for you to address immediately if you've already started down the down the the path. The the first is recommit that your lab vision is connected to your business strategy, either your 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 current strategy or a strategic initiative that you have. Right. Make sure that you are clear exactly what you are trying to get out of your lab. Why does it exist? What do you expect out of it? And when do you expect to see sort of results? You know, if you don't have that clarity of purpose, if if that's a mixed message, right, is it to just retain your people? Uh, or or is it to actually, you know, try and, and, and transform the business and, and gain to a new market sector? Make sure that you're, that you're absolutely crystal clear about that. The second is your metrics right and and I talk about a lot about this around around three pillar and it's a, a, a topic I believe in and very very seriously avoid vanity metrics so uh, a lot of times labs don't have any metrics they're just supposed to go out and innovate and you know whenever something shows up that's that's fine but in order for it to be successful you have to know what you're expecting to get and when you're supposed to get it. If you don't know when you're supposed to get it, really you're just running an academic institution, right? Colleges have all the time in the world to come up with whatever invention or idea that they have. They're funded. Nobody can lose their job. It's a wonderful playground for for ideas to, to come up with. That's why tenure exists. Business doesn't have that, so you need to understand the time. But even more importantly is being aware of those vanity metrics, right? So a common metric that I hear for labs is our lab is going to come up with five products this year. That's a vanity metric, right? Five products have no impact. It is merely a number. It is a, an arbitrary definition of quantity and not any sort of version of, of quality, right? If it's if it's five products like Google Glass, your lab was a failure. You know, you, you want to make sure that the metrics that you have are very, very real and meaningful and are showing you progress towards your goal, right? Or, or progress towards advancing that business strategy or transforming that strategic initiative. You need to be very crisp about these things because running a lab is actually very, very hard work. And if you don't pay attention to your metrics, you won't know whether or not you're winning, you're succeeding, or you're failing. And the third uh, one, and, and this is a, a huge caution, is I've seen more labs shuttered for a lack of absorption back into the business than any other single reason. And I think it's it's something to to be super, super mindful of. So you've created this lab. You you maybe have some good metrics. You you know what you want to do. You're clear of purpose. And when your lab puts out uh, this this wonderful idea, uh, this wonderful invention, this new product, this thing that you have have dreamed about for so very long, how are you going to get it back into the business? And you don't get to figure that out once you have the product. You need to figure that out now. You need to figure it out before that innovation has actually happened. Because if you don't, you're going to run into some serious Game of Thrones action, right? The executives that control all of the other divisions that this product are going to impact, they've got KPIs. 
They've got objectives. They have personal agendas. And you need to make sure that you know how you are going to navigate that ecosystem to actually make sure that this innovation or this product that you created has a a fighting chance. I've watched companies spend half a million dollars and a year on developing a product only to have it shuttered at the last minute because a head of advertising wasn't going to make a quarterly KPI if this got rolled out and disrupted things. And that's a lack of alignment at the at the at the business level and and where you really have to be able to navigate uh, the political landscape to make sure this thing is absorbed, right? A year's worth of work, a significant amount of money shuttered because somebody had a more powerful voice and the people pushing the innovation were ill-equipped to to fight against it. Yeah, and I can't imagine that does much for the morale of the people who spent a year working on it. No, I mean, you know, like like I say, I mean, these these things end in, in tears more often than not. And, and that's, you know, that's one of the, the crazy things, right? So, you know, this company spent a, a year and, and had a lot of people building this product. So now you have a bunch of people that you just paid to get much, much smarter. You've taken their work product from them, and now they're more valuable on the marketplace, and they leave. So not only did you lose the time, you lost the money, and then you lost the people. And that, uh, you know, you, you're, you're not left with much except for somebody with, like, chief innovation officer or director of innovation looking at the smoking crater where their <laughs> lab used to be. <laughs> so you mentioned Google Glass in that last answer. Let me ask you about the tale of two glasses because it's the topic that has gotten the most laughs from the audience when I've seen you give the talk a time or two. What can we learn from the difference between Google Glass and Snapchat spectacles? Sure, and there's a, a bit of an allegory there uh, when when we talk about Google Glass versus Snapchat spectacles, and I think it really talks about connection to the business and you know supporting strategic initiatives or 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 really uh, alignment with business objectives. The Google Glass is a perfect example of what I talked about earlier when. Technologists get seduced uh, by technology, and they 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 get seduced by uh, the ideas of all the great things that they're going to build. So it goes a little bit like this: some some really smart people thought it would be cool to be able to surf the internet and look at pictures of cats while they were walking down the street. And what better way to do it than make a pair of internet-enabled glasses that you could you know walk down the street and look at Wikipedia or or look at you know, memes or, or whatever other way they wanted to fill their day. It's not particularly practical. There are about four people on the planet who think this is a good idea. Uh, you know, it started an anti-cyborg movement, right? You know, it, it just, it wasn't connected really with a search and advertising giant. It was a luxury piece of hardware that enabled a one-to-one relationship with a search engine or the internet, right? The search engine wasn't even the, the 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 main product. The surfing of the internet while walking down the street was. So you you have this thing that was created in a vacuum with with no validation in the marketplace, and and it it, it just is technology for technology's sake and not particularly purposeful. It was pretty much a bad idea all uh, all the way around, and you 
contrast that with the the Snapchat spectacles. And, you know, I, I, I often say if anybody would have told me months ago I'd say anything good about Snapchat, I would have, have called them crazy. But, you know, these this, this seemingly stupid uh, set of spectacles is surprisingly innovative. It's, it's, it's pretty crazy. So you have the same thing, uh, a pair of glasses with a camera and, and, and some Internet capabilities, but uh, they're sold out of a vending machine. Right, which is weird and, and freaky in and of itself, and they, they they look absolutely ridiculous. But here's where they're really awesome and transformative. Right, when we when we think of innovation, we think of transformative. These allowed new storytelling methods. It allowed for a new uh, form of content creation for Snapchat creators, and it's completely tied to the business. So this new idea. So they they said instead of using our phones, we're going to wear these silly little glasses and we're going to film stuff and put dogs' heads on people or, or or whatever it is that everybody does with Snapchat all day. But it created a new form of storytelling. It allowed people to do this in new ways. There wasn't this big brick of a phone between them and their audience. They were more mobile. They were uh, able to do all of these things. And the cool part is it's not a one-to-one relationship. So the purchaser of the glass uh, of the Snapchat spectacles is not the only person who benefits they create content with it, which means the millions and millions of Snapchat users interact with it. So it's it's f- causing the entire user base of the service to get more value from the service rather than just one-to-one, right? Google Glass, one person, one service. Snapchat Glasses, one user, thousands and millions of, of beneficiaries. It's completely tied in. It drives the entire business forward. That's innovation, right? That's transformative. Yeah, so so sticking with uh, with transformation, I know that a couple of your favorite slides from the presentation were on the concepts of tweaking versus transforming. I know you you just talked a little bit about transforming, but what do you mean when you talk about those two things? And why do innovation labs actually produce the far less desirable, which I imagine is tweaking? So the difference between tweaking and and and, and transformation is, is 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 sort of this, right? If you're making your products. faster, 10% better, 14% more awesome. That's just tweaking. And now 14% more awesome is a significant amount of of awesome, uh, (laughs) but it's not really driving things forward. It's just a a small incremental improvement. That's something you should be baking into your roadmap all day, every day. You know, they talk about reserving time for technical debt, you know, speed improvements. These are are things that you should be mandating from your teams as part of every release, right? This is those are table stakes, right? You should be doing that all day, every day. But if a lab does it, it's 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 somehow you know more special. You know, transformation really changes a, a, a business. You know, if you if you look at, at sort of something transformative, you know, look at maybe Apple with the iPod or 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 the iPhone, a PC manufacturer became a global phone giant. Right, you know, they they actually enslaved the entire world to this four-inch piece of of glass that we all now sort of carry in our pockets and, and treat like an adult pacifier. You know, that was transformative. I mean, it changed the world. One invention changed the world. That's very very different than fourteen percent more awesome. Right? I like fourteen percent more awesome, and I and I and I want it there, but. 
when we look at our labs, how bold are we being? And, you know, what are we expecting out of them? And are we are we funding them, you know, properly? For for my mind, it's really difficult to get that level of transformation out of a small effort. It takes a lot of minds, a lot of resources, and a lot of intentionality to produce those kinds of results. You can't just lock six people in a room and say, hey guys, can you can you come up with some new ideas for me? That's that's that that's that's not an intentional way to run your business. That's luck, right? Luck is not a a repeatable business strategy. It happens sometimes. Sometimes people get lucky, but I'm not in the business of of running my organization on luck. I believe much more in in, in hard work, intentionality, and sort of empowerment. That's that's how you're going to get to transformation, right? You're hiring people, you're evaluating, and you're mandating innovation new ideas and contribution across the organization. When you do that, you actually get leverage. You get a multiplier effect. Again, six people in a room are going to come up with six ideas. 600 people around the globe are going to come up with 600 ideas. And if I tell them I need them to have ideas or I ask them, more importantly, what are your ideas? What would you do if you were the boss and you could do whatever you wanted? You're going to stand much, much better chances of coming across those wonderful moonshots that are really going to disrupt things. Yeah, well, Jonathan, you may not like to hear this, but it's a fact. Three Pillar is 33% more awesome since we hired you as CTO. So uh, thank you for being here. And uh, thanks for talking about Innovation Labs and why they fail. Uh, Appreciate the words of wisdom for all the listeners out there. Great, you know, like, like I said, thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. The Innovation Engine podcast is brought to you by Three Pillar Global, a product lifecycle management and software development company based in Fairfax, Virginia. Head to www.3pillarglobal.com to learn more about our services. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, and Google Play to ensure that you never miss a new episode and head to threepillarglobal.com slash podcast to receive new updates about our show and read the full show notes and transcript of each episode. Don't forget, we also have an app for our Three Pillar Podcasts. Just search for the Innovation Engine on the App Store.